Podcast One. everybody and welcome to Listenable. Thanks so much for tuning in. And it's going to be an episode that's a little bit different this week, Dylan. Yeah, this is the first time we're profiling someone that doesn't have a disability. But right. when we launched this podcast, we want to talk about everything. Nothing is off limits. And we're going to talk to people, you know, parents of people with disabilities. They might have disabilities themselves. We're going to talk about assistive technology. So like ways that we can help, maybe things about funding schemes, government. We're going to go really broad. Here. I'd love to get the person who runs a disability scheme in Australia in here with questions from people with disability on how they can make Australia a more inclusive society. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't necessarily have to be disabled people in their stories. We're trying to make people all across the world um, more learned on accessibility. Yeah, exactly right. But also the the ways that people can help. And and obviously, for a lot of people with disability, they're often left out of social circles, um, Mm. which is really tough. And the most intimate of social circles, you know, your partner, relationships. And I was like, hmm, who can we get on to talk about this? Maybe the person... Who loves you the most outside your family? Yeah, and it happens to also be one of the most learned people on this topic that we can find, you know, in this country, if not around the world. And Can't wait to meet this person. Not just saying that because I love her with all my heart. Let's meet our next guest. Hi, my name's Chantelle Otten. I am Dylan's partner and a psychosexologist working with a lot of people in the disabled community. Hey, Chantelle. Great to meet you. I said at the start, let's meet our guest, but of course we all have all met. Um, <laughs> you are the partner of Dylan, yes. uh, someone who he referenced in the first episode of Listen Able, the love of his life. Yes, it's me. There are so many things that uh, people want to know about, not necessarily, I mean, yes, your relationship in general, but also, people need to know what you do in this space because once they get past the fact that, yeah, I'm sure you chat to couples and their relationships and their sex, mm. but there's so much more to your role and you as a person. It's really interesting. Yeah. I can't wait for people to hear this episode. So for people that don't know much about what a psychosexologist is, I know when we met, like I didn't know too much about it either. I was just very excited when some Chantelle Otten sexologist sent me an Instagram. I was like, wait, <laughs> hey. um, can you explain what that means? Yeah, so I am someone who's trained in psychology and then I've done my science medicine degree specializing in sexual medicine and I help anyone who has a sexual concern or query or worry around sexuality and that uh, includes people with different types of abilities, medical conditions, um, mental health conditions as well. I run the sexual medicine clinic at a private hospital in Melbourne, Australia And I also have the largest psychosexology practice in Australia. So I have quite a number of sexologists who work for me and we all specialize in different things. Uh, And my favorite is the most complicated things. You also have an incredible voice. You have a beautiful voice. ASMR, what's it called? Oh, yeah. ASMR, yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear it every night. I'm the luckiest guy in the world. (laughs) God, you've got a great voice, Shanti. Thank Um, you. Especially with the mics. Now, I think there is a misconception like about sexology that it's lava lamps and carpet and like you know mm. talk about yeah it's spinning circle beds or like mm. whatever it is could be it could, <laughs> exactly, it could be but, but it's not <laughs> yeah exactly right and i think the work you do really helps a lot of people of all different as you said disabilities but also illnesses what kind of people come in and see you? yeah so we see individuals and couples uh, from people who are of all types of sexual orientations and gender identities And I specialize mainly in seeing people with medical conditions such as 
people who are on oncology wards, so cancer, people on different medications, different life stages as well. I also see people who are, uh, you know, struggling with different kind of mental health conditions, but people after accidents, you know, that have impaired them in some way or people who are just adjusting to the new me if something's happened within their body or, you know, within their life that's meant that they can't function in the way that they used to function sexually and also from a self-esteem level, then that's my job to really be there and, you know, be hand in hand with them on this journey to making sure that they have a sexually satisfying life and that they are able to be out in the community and find meaningful relationships with people. Um, And I love it. So I'm very much uh, involved with the people that come and see me. And, you know, sex is sometimes the last thing that we speak about in our sessions. A lot of the time it's really about building up their confidence and making sure that they don't feel like they're alone because a lot of people feel like they're the only one that's struggling with that problem at that time and that they're not normal. But realistically, you know, there's hundreds, if not thousands of people that are also going through very similar things. Dylan and yourself started dating around the same time that Emily and I did. And so uh, I was discovering what your role entailed at the same time that Dylan was. And I'm sure a lot of people, when they hear sexologist, they go, mm-hmm. okay, you charge 200 bucks an hour. You get couples who are unhappy. Mm-hmm. They come in, they sit down on the leather couch and you tell them, do this, do that, go home. And then when Dylan told me about potential patients that have, have maybe become paraplegic mm-hmm. and now their penis doesn't work mm-hmm. and it's your job to tell them what sex means for them, mm-hmm. it's such an important role because sex, as we've learned in this podcast, is so important to not only able-bodied people like myself, mm-hmm. but to everyone. Yeah, everyone deserves a sexually satisfying life. I'll go pleasure. on. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> what a surprise. <laughs> Before I came into your life, though, you were touched by disability. Mm. Can you explain? Yeah, so I come from a family where there are four children and my older sister is 11 months older than me. Her name's Stephanie and we were both born in December. We used to think we were twins, but that changed when we were younger, (laughs) when she started going to a specialist school because she was born with a condition called gastrothesis, which means that your intestines, your stomach is on the outside of your body when you're born. And she had lack of oxygen during her operation to put that inside her body. So she has a big scar from the bottom of her chest down to her pelvic region. We call it her zipper because she doesn't have a belly button. Uh, I guess my parents didn't realize that she had an intellectual disability until we were in prep together. And then we kind of started realizing that she did things a lot differently. She is an extremely intelligent person. And she is also married to an intellectually disabled man who has a brother who's also intellectually disabled. So I've grown up in a community where I've known a lot about disability. But I think prior to you, Dil, I didn't know a huge amount about physical disability apart from you know, my patients and people that were in my community. I was very much involved in the intellectual disabled community, you know, since I was really, really young. One of the things that I loved most about joining your family was the way that your family integrated Steph and Chip into their lives, but also enabled them to be independent. Mm -hmm. So they don't live at home and they're not like babysat as such. They live independently. Can you explain how it works? Yeah, so they live in an apartment next door to my family. Um, My parents uh, own the apartment and they are, 
you know, they love their independence, but they also love being connected. I would say my brother-in-law loves coming over a lot more than my sister does. <laughs> if it was her choice, she would stay at home and watch movies all day long. Um, but they both work um, full-time and they also volunteer. So Chippy, my brother-in-law, he works at a supermarket and, you know, um, is in customer service. And my sister works in a workplace for intellectually disabled adults and she does like packaging and she kind of wins awards for being like the best packager and all that kind of stuff. Yep. And she, uh, yeah, she does volunteer work as well. She has been fired from a few volunteer roles. Oh, she, she's a diva. She is such a diva. She gets what she wants. <laughs> hey, like a sister. No. <laughs> family. Every time we have to wash the dishes after family dinner, Steph just conveniently needs to go to the bathroom. Hey, hey, <laughs> clever. So do I. We both use our disability to get out of yeah. it. Yeah. Can't reach the sink, apparently. Yeah, we have a theory in my family that she's been faking it for 30 years. <laughs> oh, it's just convenient when she yeah. needs it to be yeah, convenient. Yeah, she's like way smarter than all of That's us. So <laughs> Do they have sex? Yeah, so they have a, r- a really active sex life from our knowledge and you would know from family dinner that they love to chat about it. Um, <laughs> Steph told me The reason that we're allowed to talk about this, like we would not normally ask about their sex lives, but they openly bring they it up. They are like obsessed with talking about their sex lives and she will, uh, my sister can't read or write, but she uses Siri to like talk and send messages and she'll accidentally send me dirty texts that she's sending to my <laughs> father-in-law sometimes and she'll be like... Love you, sexy man. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be a touch scared if I get that text one day. <laughs> How much of an influence do you think your sister played in mm. getting into the disability space within sex? Oh, I think that's a really tricky one. I guess, like, my parents are really big givers, so they've taken care of a lot of people in our lives. Um, and that's in terms of working and, and you know, financially and housing-wise. And they've just always said everyone is welcome in our house. So for me... There wasn't anyone that I have met that I don't feel like I can be open with and that is not allowed, you know, to be part of my life. And I think that they taught me that everyone is equal and that we should just be kind and open. Um, And I think, you know, part of that is just growing up with my sister and, you know, all of her friends. So we've always just had a really fun upbringing that's been open. And um, I, I guess that meant that when I got into this, medical and psychology space, I was a lot more accustomed to the challenges that would be thrown my way because it was just natural for me. Can you take us through in the disability space what you've come across in years? Yeah, um, I mean, that ranges. So for a lot of people in the intellectually disabled space, that's around negotiation, safety, consent, because Mm. they are much more vulnerable to abuse and trauma and especially spousal abuse. So you have to be very careful that they know that they're allowed to say no and that they're having safe sex as well. Being part of a team with their caregivers to make sure that they have someone to talk to that's not their parents or siblings that is able to advise them what's okay and what's, you know, maybe a little bit questionable in terms of safety around sex. Um, And then with people in the disabled space that have got physical impairments it's about navigating sexuality and whether that be something that they have always had so primary disability um, navigating how to you know be in a relationship how to have sex with your different ability that's something that I can help them with obviously I've got experience with it as well Um, you do (laughs) now you know I've learned a lot being with you babe I'm winking through the podcast (laughs) but also you know if it's an acquired injury just 
being with them on that journey because it's a lot of grief that people feel and also it changes their relationship dynamics a lot. Um, there's a lot of people uh, who have physical impairments that can't have relationships, maybe with uh, cerebral palsy. That's an example of mine that a lot of people in that space really struggle because they deteriorate as they age and people with uh, disabilities often have really erotic minds. So they have really big imaginations. And for me, it's being that person that they can talk to about that eroticism, about their fantasies, but also maybe helping them find someone that could be part of that fantasy for them as well. And that means working with really well-educated sex workers as well and making sure that my patient is safe and that they feel comfortable with the people they're, they're with. And also navigating relationships as well, because I... I worry sometimes that there are relationships that might be maybe happening for the wrong reasons essentially i don't like, like it. catfish style or benefits catfish, catfish style you know benefits but also um pity kind of yeah. relationships and caregiving relationships where the person's not in it to be your partner but to be your caregiver and, and to have the benefits from that maybe a stable household or disability income as well so that's for me to be that sound voice for them to just say, hey, I see what's happening. A lot of the time, though, if my patient's happy and they're safe, that's something that I'm okay with. And I'll just be with them to make sure they don't get taken advantage of. Wow, that's such a huge responsibility. It is huge, yeah. We've got to play in the sex working space for me. I mean, we have to delve a little bit deeper into that because that would be something, that's actually something I've never thought about. Yeah. So they provide opportunities for people with a disability that have been excluded from having their sexual desires met. Yeah. Um, or that might have changes, like a, a catheter, for example, the permanent catheter or different orgasmic abilities or maybe erectile dysfunction or um, maybe they've, had, they've lost a limb or something like that. So it's about providing stimulation that is far beyond just penetration and orgasm, which is what we all tend to focus on in Australia, but that we need to kind of veer away from because yeah. it's pretty boring to just have penetration and orgasm every time when you've got a whole menu full of sexual activities to do. Well, that was one of the most dangerous things for me growing up is mm. you learn a lot about sex through the internet and pornography or whatever it is. And I'd always look at things and be like, I can't do that. I can't do that. Do I have self-worth? Am I going to be sexually active? How dangerous, I guess, are those stereotypes, especially for people with disability? who will not be able to see themselves or role model or have any understanding what they can do. I think they're so dangerous for everyone in general, to be honest. Um, you know, I have a lot of young people that we don't have adequate sex education. And so we turn to porn for, uh, I guess, a view of what sex is meant to be like. But pornography is, it was not designed to be educational. It was designed to be entertaining. That means that a, a, a lot of young people are going, well, Am I meant to be moaning this way? Is my penis meant to be this big? Am I meant to have no pubic hair? Or, or, you know, I don't look like these people and I can't do what they do. And if you include someone who has a disability into that, there's nothing they can identify with mm. apart from, you know, the kind of disabled porn that's way too... But it would be fetish style yeah, stuff way as too well, fetishy right? and just yeah. not realistic. Well, yeah. So in that role of sex workers, do you find that some parents come to you to say, look, you know, I want my child to live a full life and a full life involves sex in whatever form that is? Yeah. Do you find you have parents who are kind of leading you into 
finding appropriate safe spaces for them? Yeah, I would say that a lot of the work that I do with parents would probably be on the pro bono side. It's just providing advice on the whim. I do a lot of pro bono work because not everyone can afford to see a sexologist. Um, And a lot of my patients that are in the disabled space are on NDIS or um, uh, government funding. funding, Yeah, Yeah. And so they can't afford to be seeing me, but... Um, I feel like it's a duty of mine and I'm the only one that they can do about this. Parents would send me a lot of DMs on my social media um, and just say, you know, who would you recommend? And I'll just say, you know what, I depends on where you live or, you know, I know that this person's really um, good or this, I guess, location. But yeah, sometimes I get parents coming in with their, you know, child and saying, how do we talk about this and how do we navigate this and who can I bring them to and that's you know such a pleasure that they've come to me and been so open now i'm easily in the happiest part of my life that i've ever had i'm very happy i'm in a beautiful relationship with you chantel and <laughs> hope you feel the same way uh, <laughs> a million percent uh, a google percent <laughs> yeah good it's i'm so glad i met you You changed my life from the moment that i did however i get asked this question a lot mm. when i first got with you uh we became intimate I felt pre- like the pressure to perform because mm. you are like the Roger Federer of your industry. Mm. You're the you Rolls know, Royce. You're the Rolls sex. Royce, right? <laughs> of what you you're do. the goat. You know everything. Well, so, so we imagine. Yeah. Oh, it's I must true. Say, it's true. Yes. Hey, I've got a lot of practice. Invalid. But I've got to say, on the flip side, you'd never been with somebody with a disability or in a wheelchair like me. How? Yeah. How was it for you having sex with someone with a disability for the first time? I've never felt butterflies like that before. Wow, I was so nervous, um, but so excited at the same time to see how it would work, what was going to be different. And of course, you know, I, I think in my mind, this is the healthiest and most pleasurable sex that I've ever had because it is just so expansive and it is so erotic and it is so much beyond the mainstream view of what sexuality is meant to be. So... I was so excited because I knew it would be really fulfilling for me and um, it's paid off and it's gotten better and better. And I think we've both brought things into each other's sexual lives that have not been imaginable um, and that have improved us as sexual beings as well. And that's all I aim for my own personal life is to be able to improve myself as a person every day but also i want to be having sex until i'm dead so um get ready yeah so that means you know going with the ebbs and flows of that and being expansive and trying new things and you luckily have a really erotic mind like my own so we've been able to work on that really well together one of the things that we've taught each other and i've taught myself over the years i guess and you can have sex in whatever way you can have sex Mm. that doesn't matter if you have a disability or not yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. In terms of the features that you have, the things you can perform, mm. the way that you can do it, there are, there are a multitude of things that you can do that count as sex. And and you're teaching me every day. It might even be like a massage. Yeah. You know what I mean? So for people with other higher level disabilities, lower level disabilities, mm. an able-bodied person who is in love with someone with a disability but thinks they won't be able to do it, mm. I mean, there's a wide range of things that can be done. Our biggest sexual organ is our brain. So the biggest organ on our body is the skin. The biggest sexual organ is the brain. And those two are really, really important in terms of sexuality in general, but definitely in the disabled community to be able to stimulate different erogenous zones that can bring on orgasmic experiences that are not, you know, genitalia or erogenous zones is such an exciting thing. And I just implore anyone, able-bodied or not, to 
explore and expand and try out different parts of the body and try different things and introduce toys. I'm really lucky that I have support from um, Love Honey, who is one of my sponsors, and they are always, always saying to me, what can I provide you for your patients? What can I provide you for yourself? What um, can we improve on? And I have the luxury of being able to um, work with them in terms of designing toys and designing oh, wow. um, yeah, things that would be helpful for the disabled community. Do you have like a, a link of something specific anywhere that is for mm. maybe yeah, disability? The, sh- the Shanti 5000. Shanti, <laughs> Shanti Banger 5000. <laughs> <laughs> hey, where's the Shanti it's Banger 5000? <laughs> but do you have, a, I mean, it's maybe yeah. not a link specific to disability? Space, yeah. or, no, so but, I mean, I'd, certainly recommendations you would have. Yeah, so that's some, we're doing some content around that in um, the next couple of weeks but also that's something that I'm working uh, with um, their head office for Love Honey Australia and we will hopefully be providing a really good space that you know I'm happy to take suggestions of from anyone in the disabled community on what you want in there but there are really great things like wedges for under the hips to um, prop the pelvis up you know different types of uh, toys with long handles or short handles to be able to reach erogenous zones um, different types of stimulation pressure. So if it's hard to feel stimulation in a certain area, we can get one that has a lot more stimulation so you're able to feel it better. And then things, you know, that are just fun, like nipple clamps and skin teasers and ticklers and, you know, Brilliant. things that hurt and things that don't. I think, I think what's also orgasmic for everyone is you saying the word erogenous signs. Can I get it one more time? Erogenous signs. <laughs> Let me... Play devil's advocate for a second. Yeah. We've got the Rolls Royce of sex. Mm. Chantelle Lotton. We've got, you know, a sexologist, someone who lives and breathes this world, has all the equipment at hand. Extremely talented and oh. incredibly beautiful. All of the all <laughs> of the things. You've got Dylan Orcott, you've got an incredibly good looking man, mm. for one. You've also got a guy who is extroverted, <laughs> talented in his own right. What about for somebody who doesn't have any of these things? I mean, mm, they're listening to you guys and you're going, okay, well, you've got a beautiful couple having great sex, fantastic. What about me who maybe doesn't have aesthetic good looks perpetuated by a culture? Yeah. What's some advice for people who don't have the sexual confidence yet to come forward with their partner or someone they're interested in? Yeah, I think that's a good question. And maybe we can do that to, together, Dylan, because I think before me, there were times in your life that I don't think you thought you would get this kind of relationship. Oh, times or the whole time, pretty yeah. much. And I know from having a disability how hard it can be. And I really sympathize with the disabled community because they will see someone they have a crush on. They will see someone they love. They will get that butterfly feeling mm. and they'll think it won't be reciprocated, which it might not be. But you don't think that people sometimes put themselves out enough to find Correct, out whether it is? Say, because of that reason. Mm. That makes it hard though, man. Yeah, Because but you I, get shut down a lot, you I, know what I mean? Yeah, but I have to also probably give you a bit of insight into yourself. You had very low confidence when you were younger yeah. and confidence isn't something that you're born with. Correct. It's something that you have to create. Correct. And you decided that you wanna, or you wanted to have a big life and you wanted to have someone in it that would be good for you. If I was a bad person, it doesn't even matter what I look like. Yeah, I wouldn't be part of your life. Exactly right. hundred percent. Yeah. People with a disability get fatigued because they're constantly told, just put yourself out there, just put yourself out there, just put yourself mm. out there. But it's true. You know what I mean? It works. And the best way to change people's perceptions is through lived experience. And you'd be shocked to know if you go up to people and ask them uh, on a date, they might say, yes, there's a, there's a really great book of a young guy with a disability and his book's called People Think My Girlfriend's My Carer. Because she's good looking and he's in an electric wheelchair. 
constantly people think it's his carer because we as a society don't assume that people with a disability can have able-bodied girlfriends or boyfriends do, or husbands or wives or whatever it is doing normal things. And I think that's why these conversations are important to do so. And I think the other part of that question, Angus, is to flip it. What's your advice, Chantel, to people who are able-bodied who might see someone with a disability and think they're cute and think they can't go up and ask questions or they think they can't do things or they think it might be weird for them to go up and, and, and start I guess an interesting. Well, you started the conversation yourself, Shanti. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I pursued you, so. Bloody yes, you did. Yeah, oh, I bred so my way did. into your so life. So glad you pretty did. Easy, pretty easy to catch up to him. Though. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, I was like, I, I mean, I saw you and I fell in love with you. So I, um, that just came from energy. It doesn't. It wasn't about what you looked like, or I didn't actually know who you were. So when we met, so it was kind of nice to feel that energy. But I would say that. If you are able-bodied and you see someone that has a disability and you like them, don't worry about the future and don't listen to anyone else. Just do what is right for you because even myself, I've had advice. Things will be hard for you and Dylan in the future. There are things that he won't be able to do. Do I care? Absolutely not because I can do so much stuff by myself and I can do much more when I'm with Dylan. And the fact is I'm with Dylan because of how he treats me, not because of who he is, but the support that he provides me from a mental health point of view, the opportunities he gives me in terms of my life and the security I have for the future that I want from my family. And if you meet someone that has a disability and you love everything about them, but you're worried about their disability, have those chats with the person, open up, ask the questions. When I first got with Dylan, I said, is there anything I have to worry about in terms of your longevity, in terms of the fact that your spine is going to change as you get older, in terms of the fact that, you know, you won't be able to hold our children all the time when we have them. And he just said, well, we'll figure that out together. And that's the point. You can't find the answers to that unless you're with the person and you can ask them what they can do and not focus on what they can't do because there's a lot of support out there to be with someone with a disability. What's some of the advice that you do give those people with the confidence that Dylan mm. doesn't have um, yeah. when they come and sit on your, I'm imagining, couch mm. Mm. Um, and ask the questions or maybe in their own seats? Yeah, yeah. in their chairs. Yeah. chairs. Yeah. yeah, they do often bring their chairs. Yes. I just say you you can't stay in the position that you're in. The only way to get to, to anywhere in life is to move forward, whether that be rolling forward or <laughs> stepping forward or whatever, whatever you can do. Let me be part of that with you or find a support network that will be encouraging for you. And lastly, like don't hang out with toxic people. Mm. I think that's a really big problem in the disabled community that they tend to be surrounded by people that aren't really supportive or don't view them as elite beings, which is what they are. I mean, everyone is exceptional in their own right. And having a different ability means that you have a lot of other options that you can do. It doesn't mean that you're mainstream. It mean, and who wants to be mainstream at the end of the day? You're not boring. And I think that's the main draw card and life will never be boring for you. Can I add a tiny bit to that as well? Mm. The best way to change things is to... Talk about it as well. Oh, yeah, that, that's a good point. I'm a therapist. We should everyone talking. should talk about it. Yeah, yeah, but I think externally as well, not just in therapy. I mean, it's a taboo subject, especially with people with disability. And I think the sector previously, I know because I grew up in it, when I would see sex therapists or whatever, would just be old school 
chat. Mm. Which and is one of the reasons why I became a sex Exactly coach, right. Yeah, yeah, because you wanted to change that. But for someone with a disability, why can't it be fun, you know, with all these, you know, emotional talk about it in a different lens so we're not so scared about it. So it isn't as scary for everyone. It's just a lot more normal. So then more people get the opportunity to have actively sexual lives like they deserve to have. And some great accessories that can help you with your sex life as well. I mean, just because you don't have the ability to do something, now there are things that can help you do that thing to help your partner get that thing. Exactly. I'm going to add one more. (laughs) We're just going to keep adding now. One beautiful thing that I've been able to create is a community for people. Um, So if if I have someone that comes to me and says, I don't know how to navigate this. And Dil, you would, you've had these experiences for yourself in the past. Try and find someone that's in a very similar position or I will try and find someone for you that's able to give you advice on how they did it or how they got to where they are. Dil, when he was younger, didn't really know anyone who was disabled until you started going to basketball, right? Tennis and basketball to be yeah. able to, exactly right. To see, you mentioned to, that in, in the podcast. Yeah, to see it role modeled and to see that yeah. it actually can happen and things like that, it really changed my life. And I think the point is... If you have a disability, don't be scared, but be vulnerable. Talk to them about what your challenges are and how to navigate. Can I have a guess at what I think? As an outsider looking in, a big problem with sex and disability might be is not the person who's interested in the person with disability, who we have been saying since episode one, step forward and make that plunge. It's their friends and their opinion of it. Like, Hey, I'm interested in a guy. He's a quadriplegic, but God, I speak on the phone to him for six hours a night and the friend's going, what happened? Oh, yeah. really? A quadriplegic? Oh mm. God. Well, he couldn't come into this restaurant and then casting aspersions before they get the chance. And then that person feels like they have to justify to a friendship group who have already started from a non-base level. I can't imagine a friendship group, even my own, being straight up with positive thoughts, like what a great opportunity to explore a world you don't know. I think there would always be at the start, like, Oh, if you said really? my girlfriend's in a wheelchair, Angus, they wouldn't say, "Oh, what's her name?" They'd go, "What happened?" Yeah, yeah. What do you mean? Mm. Are you serious? Yeah. How are you going to get over that? A lot of lot of hardships. They wouldn't before they'd even ask what, what their name is yeah. or what she does. Yeah. So yeah. I think that's a really interesting part, and I think that might be holding a lot of people back from making that plunge into mm. love with somebody. Well, I know that a lot of the time, friends and family do get in the way, even if it comes to funding for people with disabilities who need to see sex workers to be able to you know, have satisfaction and to have sex because everyone is allowed to have a healthy sex life. A lot of the time families will not, you know, contribute towards having a mm. sex worker to be part of that. Or you'll see friends who um, oh, are really, yeah, really in the ear of someone who's dating a person with a disability and saying, well, what about this? Or they'll just not understand or you'll get, you know, invited to parties that are up like three flights of stairs. Uh, mm. And, you know, if your partner's in an electric wheelchair, it's just not possible. I think also just we've had examples or I've had examples of patients who have come in who have had, you know, girlfriends and then the partners have broken up with their disabled partner and said, well, you know, I just want to have a bigger life than this. And I, I you know that things are going to get in the way and that's because their family is in their ear going, don't do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and It's not what I want for my baby daughter, baby boy. Especially in exactly. some cultures around the world. It's mm. often mm. frowned upon to, to date or to, you know, have a family with someone with a disability. You actually bring up a really interesting point around the cost of sex. Yeah. Um, and that's something I've never thought about as well until this discussion. That's yeah. why this podcast is great, is if you've got – a child with a disability who, yeah, once again, might be on a, a government funding, et cetera, mm. to have their independence, but that doesn't afford the cost of sex workers. 
Yeah. For one, it must be huge for someone with a disability to go to their parents to ask for money. Mm. But I can't imagine many parents going, I'm not going to be putting hundreds of dollars so you can get your rocks off. Mm. You know, I'll put it towards more accessibility in the kitchen or, you know, something they think the worth is. Mm. I don't know how much a sex worker costs, but I don't think it would be cheap. No, it's definitely over $1,000 each time. The cost of sex applies to a lot of disabilities is a funny story. Obviously, to have sex if you have like a paraplegia, that often people eat, would eat Viagra or Cialis. Mm-hmm. You've yeah. talked about, was it Chelsea? You yeah, had a Jack time. Johnson concert, you yeah, tutor yeah. Viagra. I, and it mm. costs money, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's very expensive to, save to up. buy Cialis and, and Viagra. Angus, you'll laugh at this. Mm-hmm. I can't see how upsetting it was when you think you're in. Smash oh. a Viagra. Like, <laughs> yeah. Go out. You be like, they said, no, I'm not into it. Like pr- having pre-drinks and the party's cancelled. It's you lost 90, <laughs> 80 bucks and also... You're getting hot flashes. You get hot flashes oh. like you're about to have a heart attack. It's so hot yeah. and you're trying to act cool. So there's – it across a lot of disabilities, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's a commitment to have mm-hmm. – you have to prep yourself almost and then if it doesn't come up, well, then it's a lot more wasted it feels like sometimes mm-hmm. with people with disabilities, yeah. Yeah, I also want to add to it. You don't have to be taking those medications. You can have really healthy sex lives without, you know, erections. Um, you can still orgasm when you don't have an erection as well. So. Can you? Yeah, mm-hmm. if you give, I dare you to give it a go, but you'll probably get an erection. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you just, but yeah. Pre- you think there's pressure to perform normally mm. with inserted commas there. Do it in whatever way you can do it. Have yeah. And have fun. Yeah. Well, what I've learned is everyone has a normal. My normal is different to your normal is different to yours. So don't listen to what your normal is. No. If I found out what your normal was, I would be scared about... I think you would. <laughs> I I think that's I'm, not my normal, Mine Chantel. would be a bit blind. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> just sent me a very sexy text. Are you, are you getting turned on, Dill? I am. <laughs> Did you just sext your girlfriend who's a metre away from you? He submitted a proposal. <laughs> okay, well, I feel awkward. Uh, let me get my bowl of uncomfortable question out of the way. Uh, I didn't want to leave this to anyone else. This is a question from me that I think is a little uncomfortable yeah. for you too. Maybe, maybe not. I mean, you're very open with your sex life. Mm. Can you tell something awkward that happened in those first moments of finding each other's bodies and your comfortability? Oh, Dylan's pointed straight at Chantel. Of me? Yeah, tell the one you did. <laughs> okay. You know That's one? not to do with disability. Exactly right. But it's all kind of awkward that happened. First time I slept over, I was so nervous um, that my guts were churning when I slept over and Dill was spooning me from behind. And you know when you need to, like, fart? Oh. And you're like, no. Mm-hmm. You're holding that in. And That's you're like, worse. it's first sleepover. And then I... Did a pop on his leg. <laughs> <laughs> and that's your job because you can't control that. Yeah, that's normally me. So one of the best things that... So I think that normalised it. <laughs> one of the best things that... It did normalise it for me because that's something I was really worried about because yeah. when we go out... If, I blame it on if you If something lot. smells in the restaurant, everyone yeah. looks at me. And rightfully so, Chantel goes... Dylan's and even though it was her. So, so I, of... yeah, when I fart, I just always blame it on Dill. But that time I couldn't because you knew that I did it. Um, I got one for you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> do you worry about us having kids that will have to do things potentially differently? No, I don't worry about it. Worry's not the word. I think about it. In a way, I fantasize about it. I'm excited for it, you know, and I'm excited about how things will be different. I'm we might have to do things in a different way. We might have to go through IVF to have children. 
Um, there's a lot of things that will be out of our control when it comes to children. Um, but I know that you and I can do so much as a team, much more than we can do as individuals. And I know that just means adjusting things a little bit. It means having a house that's accessible. It means having, you know, a cot next to our bed. So if someone's, you know, if the child's crying or children on IVF, we might end up with three at once. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and I do sometimes think about if we have uh, twins or triplets, because that is a big uh, thing that could happen if you go through IVF. That will be a really challenging time. But no, I'm not worried about us as parents having children. I worry about normal things. Like I work in the in the industry that deals with people's sex lives. So I'm like, oh God, what if you have three kids and we're so tired we can't have sex? No, and baby, I'm like worried. Don't worry about that. <laughs> so I don't have issue from this side of the desk. Yeah, I don't think about disability um, and you know being a parent. No. You are very talented in what you do and you do help a lot of people. How can people get in touch with you to either book an appointment or get advice. And I know you've got a great online community you build as well. Online and in person via com. So C-H-A-N-T-E-L-L-E-O-T-T-E-N. Which is great because it's accessible to everybody. Thank you so much for being part of this. Thank you for having me. Hey, and thank you for being my partner. I love you so much. And keep doing what you're doing in your industry because you are helping a lot of people but most of all you're helping me become the person that I am and I appreciate it I love you sex and disability it was a topic that we had to cover or would have covered at some point but I mean how great to have it so close to home for you though. yeah and it took a bit for some, like I hope you appreciate the honesty of Sean and I talking about that because we really want to normalise disability mm-hmm. she is a passion of normalising sex and Put those two together, sex and disability, something we're both really passionate about. So, And I can also mention something as well. That open, honest conversation that we just had for this podcast was for people to listen and learn. You guys have been so brave in doing that because there are going to be articles that are written with clickbait headlines that are going to exist that you both will have to deal with of course. because of the conversation we've had to open up the ability for people to learn. So thank you from me uh, to both of you guys. Shout out to Daily Mail. Yeah, no doubt it's coming. <laughs> yeah. um, but that was a conversation that I think is really important and hopefully as, as well for a lot of parents listening, I think that's going to be – because people with disability know this lifestyle, but I think parents with people, maybe hopefully even kids listening, can have a bit more courage and acceptance going forward. Support is a big one. Support your child or friend with a disability to be able to get out there and live out their desires mm. like everybody else gets to do. I think so. Shanti said it best, everybody deserves a, a great sex life. Yep. Yeah. Um, That's it for this episode of Listen Able. Let's get ready for the next. Don't think about an I didn't even think about, and it might be a bit uncomfortable for you guys. That's why we're here. Is I don't know when I have my period. Of course. So I actually have to ask my husband if I've got my period or not. And that is, I think, the hardest thing for me. Make sure you like and subscribe our podcast. Uh, Make sure you subscribe on YouTube if you're watching this. Um, We've got more episodes on the way. Of course, you can watch this on YouTube if uh, you do have a friend who is hearing impaired. All the captions are online. And share it around. We want to go global and and really try and help as many people. 1.3 billion people around the world with with a disability. 4.5 million in Australia. Exactly right. We want to normalise that for as many people as we can. So thank you for the comments. We read them, keep them coming. We appreciate them. Until the next episode. Listenable was presented by Dylan Alcott and Angus O'Loughlin and produced in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Audio production by Darcy Thompson and the music was written and performed by Eliza Hull.